I realized that I don't necessarily look like the man you think of when you think like think of prostate cancer. I was told right. by my team of urologists that I'm the youngest man in Austin to have been diagnosed. Beyond Ourselves is a podcast where I, Taylor Camille, share stories by those living a life fully and beyond any stigma or perceived limitations a health condition may have on their day-to-day -day lives. For season two of this series, we're highlighting stories from Black men, the stigmas around caring for their health and bodies beyond fitness and examining masculinity. Today, we're speaking with Michael Roy about his journey with prostate cancer, a disease that hits close to home for me, having lost my dad to it in December of 2019. In a study published by the National Cancer Institute, it's noted that in addition to being more likely to be diagnosed with prostate cancer, black men are also more likely to die from low-grade prostate cancer at a rate double that of men of other races. Some words to know for this episode that we don't necessarily define. Michael uses PSA a lot, which is an acronym for a blood test that looks for prostate-specific antigens, PSA. And he encourages all men to ask their doctors to run this test to know your status. Another word we use is biopsy, which is when a surgeon takes samples of your tissues or cells in an area where something harmful to your health, like cancer, might have infected the area. I really enjoyed talking to Michael. I want you to know that we for sure spent the first 10 minutes of our conversation talking about our frustrations with people not taking COVID-19 seriously. And unfortunately, I edited that out for time, but I left inspired by Michael's determination, which you'll hear, to share his story with anyone who'll listen and the work he continues to do. Not only being a mentor to other men, but to create policy that will allow more men to be tested at an earlier age. Here's Michael. My name is Michael Roy. I'm originally from Houston, Texas, currently living in Austin, Texas. I am a program administrator for Austin ISD, and I'm also an advanced reading and writing instructor at Austin Community College. And I'm also a national ghostwriter. That's my, my side gig. So that's <laughs> I'm married. I have two little girls, Malia and Margot. I'm a twin. And another cool thing, my middle name is my wife's first name. So, and our, our and our birthday is seven days apart. So that's pretty cool. What? Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> what sign are y'all? We're same both sign? the same sign. Yeah. Oh my god, that's hilarious. It's crazy. I have a, a best friend from literally kindergarten, and she just started dating a Pisces, and she's a Pisces too. It's so funny. And, and okay, another crazy thing that I didn't say: my mom is also a Pisces, and me and my twin, we were born on her birthday. So, me and my twin and my mom have the same birthday. Oh, that's adorable. That's crazy is what it is. That's crazy. That is crazy. But I yeah. just wanted to say thank you for being willing and able to talk about this. I think it's yes. really dope that you have been so vocal. And it's hard to find men that, Black men, that mm -hmm. talk about their con past conditions, current conditions, surviving a condition. Yes, yes. And I... So yeah, I it's it was like heaven sent when I found you because I was like trying so hard, full transparency. My dad passed away from prostate cancer in December. And so, you know, he was much older, but still it's like I remember having to try to like coerce him and talk to him about dad, let's go get your surgery, dad. You know, there's treatments that are non-invasive. Dad, let's like what's the update? 
and you know it's all just like too little too late but so it's just nice to hear you know someone who not only survived but then is also advocating for others to be more proactive and mentoring others going through stuff so yeah I was just happy that we could connect. Taylor I want to say thank you so much for having me. I always say for me I feel blessed to be a blessing and it's absolutely a blessing to be able to share my story. I, I can't choose to look at it as some sort of taboo thing because I'm not doing these other men out here any favors by being quiet about it. Right. So how would you describe your journey with prostate cancer and what would you tell other men it was like? You know, when I, when I first started on this journey, I was feeling like I needed to be vocal in some way. I didn't know how, but I knew that I would tell any man who would listen, you know, my friends, just please go get checked. It's a blood test. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to take because a lot of men think, you know, it's another process. And I'm like, no, it's a simple blood test. You know, just go get checked because, you know, I'm grateful that my wife, she's always been the type of person like go to the doctor, go to the doctor. Funny story. And I'm gonna get back on topic. But funny story, just to show you how I'm in a lot of ways may not be different from the men I'm talking about. When I first met my wife, I had a maybe like a week or two prior to meeting her, I had dropped a fiberglass uh, clipboard on my big toe. I was at work and I was moving real fast and the clipboard fell and it was heavy and it fell on my toe. And it hurt. You know, I limped that whole day. I didn't do anything about it. I don't remember how much time went by, but the toenail changed every color and then it finally came off. Okay. But, oh in, the, but in the interim, I had met her. So when, when I met her, I mean, you know, when you first meet somebody, you know, you want to be your best self. I'm not trying to tell this girl like that my toenail is about to come off. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and I, so I did it. I did it. I, I would wear socks around her and it wasn't until one day I, I, I was around her and I didn't have any socks on and she looked at my toe and she freaked out and she was like, oh you my know, God. Like, why won't you just go to the doctor? That's why you have insurance. Blah, blah. And I'm like, man, you know, that is true. It's true. You know? Yeah. And since then I can say I've been very good about going to my annual physical, you know, if something comes up or if I don't feel right, I go to the doctor. I don't, you know, I just do it. And and that's actually how mm -hmm. I found out that I had prostate cancer. I just went to my regular annual doctor's appointment. We live in Austin now. Yeah. But we had just moved from Houston. And I had been going to the doctor every year in Houston to my primary care physician, um, unless I needed to go to a specialist or something like that. But when we moved here, there was like maybe a year of time where we hadn't locked down a primary care physician here in Austin. So, you know, when mm -hmm. we finally got everything situated, we were in, settled, we started working on that. And my mother-in-law, my in-laws live here as well. And my mother-in-law was saying, y'all need to go to our doctor. We've been seeing this doctor for over 20 years. She's amazing, blah, blah, blah. And we tried to get into this doctor, but she's so booked. People love her so much that they wouldn't, we couldn't get in. And so my mother-in-law mm -hmm. was like, I said, well, we called. They're not taking any new patients. She's like, wait a minute. So she text messages the doctor directly. <laughs> And the doctor calls and the doctor is like, this is, to me, this is crazy because I've never had a doctor's phone number. Like, I just never knew my doctor. <laughs> you know, it's like, in my experience, if I want yeah. to talk to the doctor, I got to go to the doctor. Got to the receptionist. Yeah, got yeah. to pay that copay, all of that. So anyway, right, right. the doctor calls back. She's like, no, you tell them to call back and let them know that I, blah, blah. So sure enough, we got in. I went to see this doctor for the first time, probably in the summer of 2018. So, you know, that's my first visit with her. She has to get all this inf information, family history, and I'll touch on that in a minute. And mm -hmm. so I gave her all that information at the time. All that I knew was that uh, on my mom's side, my aunt had just been recently diagnosed with prostate, I mean, breast cancer, I'm sorry. 
And my grandmother, mm-hmm. my paternal grandmother, that same year had passed away from uh, cancer, from lung cancer, stage four. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. told her those things. That was what I knew. So, you know, at that time, I was only 37 years old. I had no, I mean, I wasn't even thinking about any cancer. I was in great shape. I worked out, you know, I, I was healthy. I ate pretty good. You know, right. I wasn't the best eater, but I felt like I definitely did not see this coming. So anyway, she had the foresight because in the last five years, she said that she's seen uh, younger and younger men being diagnosed. So she chose, she elected when she did my full panel, my blood panel, to test my right. PSA as well. I never even asked her to do that. She just chose right. to do that. And sure wow. enough, everything came back awesome. But the one thing I remember she she mentioned was that my PSA levels were kind of high. And I and that was my first time really consuming. I, I Googled like what you know and I realized what that was. She said, I want to put you on antibiotics for 30 days. Uh, and then we'll come back and we'll test your PSA again. Cause I'm thinking she she's thinking it might be some type of infection. Uh prostatitis mm-hmm. is what it's called. So I said, okay, cool. I, right. you know, I'm all about, you know, just tell me what to do. I never got scared, not one time. I'm like, okay, I took these pills for 30 days. She tested me again. She said, Well, the levels came down slightly, but not enough for me to feel comfortable. So I want to put you on another 30 days. So I, she did. I took the pills another wow. 30 days. And when she tested my PSA that second time, my levels were higher than they were initially. And that's when she said, oh my. okay, you know what? We're going to send you to a urologist. And even then, Taylor, I didn't, I didn't get, I never got anxious because in my mind, I'm like, are you serious? Yeah. Because I, I, I mean, I just had no reason to feel like, I feel like I'm very in tune with my body and I just kind of felt like I would kind of sense if something was wrong in any way, really wrong. but again, yeah. again, you know, on this end of it now, I, I know that prostate cancer is one of those cancers that you won't see symptoms for. So, you, you know, once a man starts recognizing symptoms, they're usually at like stage three or four, they're towards the, the latter because yeah. that's how it works. So, okay. So she sent me to the urologist met with them then I came back I did the biopsy which was terrible you know I this is just to show you how green (laughs) I was I didn't even really realize what the biopsy was like I was going to do to it but I never took the time to research like what I I never had any biopsy I didn't even realize and so you you weren't ever like overwhelmed at any point of this process you know these these new words I wasn't because she she my doctor, you know, and at this point, like, I just, this is, this woman is the salt of this earth. Like, I just felt like she, I definitely know she knows what she's talking about. So I just hung on. Well, it, even though I'm not feeling it, wow. I guess it's an infection. She's saying it's likely an mm-hmm. infection, you know, which initially I believe she did think it was. And that's why she thought if I give you these antibiotics, they should work. To this day, it baffles me that she chose. This is my first time meeting this woman. I've never met this woman before. I yeah. know, she doesn't know me. I don't know her. You know, I've been going to a doctor in Houston. They never chose to do that. You know what I'm saying? They never wow. elected yeah. me. And so, okay, I'm fast forwarding. So I did the biopsy and I'm still not nervous. So let me tell you. So the day that the results were supposed to come back from the biopsy, I was supposed to go into the doctor to get the results, you know. So that morning mm-hmm. I was at work and I was talking to my coworkers and I was saying, you know, at that point, by this time for the urologist, that was going to be my third visit with him. I had met with him initially. That was a copay. I had went to do the biopsy. That was a copay. And now I was just going to get my results. So my coworkers mm-hmm. were like, you know, you shouldn't have to pay a copay. And I was like, no, I wouldn't see why. I'm just getting results from a service that was rendered the last time. 
So I called mm-hmm. the doctor and the, the lady that handles accounts or something like that. And I was telling her, you know, what my situation was. And I was trying to find out, did I have to pay a copay today? Because I didn't feel like I should, because I felt like there's no real justifiable reason that that was my issue. I was more worried about the copay. Okay. So <laughs> seriously, because I'm just like, and me and my wife, you know, I mean, it, yeah, it wasn't the issue of paying it. It's just like, why am I paying it? Because I'm not principle. getting anything done today. You're just telling me results. So anyway, right. the, the lady's like, oh, she's, the lady agrees. She's like, no, you definitely shouldn't have to pay a copay. She's like, let me call up there to your urologist's office. And, and you know what? I, I, I'll just get you your results. And I said, oh, okay. Because cause then also, Taylor, I didn't think I had, I didn't think it was any bad news. So I'm like, just tell me right. what I already know, which is that I don't have, you know, so the ladies, she, she says, call me back in an hour and I should have your information. I said, okay, cool. So to, to the minute I call her back and she's like, ah, oh, you know, I got so busy. She checked her inner office email. She's like, huh? Well, she's like, usually they would have sent the information over. She's like, let me go up there and then I'm going to call you back. Let me just go up there and get it by hand. And I'm going to call you back. I said, okay, cool. And keep in mind, at this point, she and I, it's like an understanding between us that, nah, you definitely shouldn't have to, you know, pay a copay, you know. So when she called mm-hmm. me back, Taylor, <clears throat> she said, hey, Mr. Roy, how's it going? And I'm like, uh, hey, what's going on? She was like, hey, listen. She's like, I just wanted to say, you know, I was thinking maybe you should just go ahead and come up here. And I'm like, okay. and Taylor, I just said, okay, all right, okay, okay. I just instinctively... Then, right then is when I started to feel like, whoa, because I didn't understand. I didn't want to ask her why, because I felt like I knew her tone was different. Her, even Mm -hmm. through the phone, her demeanor, she just wasn't. So I felt like I didn't even want to know. I just said, okay, all right, all right. So I got home. uh, My wife and my kids came with me to that appointment. And while we're driving there, my wife is driving and I'm telling her, I'm like, hey, I was calling earlier to try to find out. I'm like, cause I know I shouldn't have to pay another copay. And she, she's driving and she literally looks at me like, I know we better not, but we just, you know, got there. We parked. Sure enough, we walked in, got up to the front counter. I signed in and the lady told me to have a seat. And then she called me back up. And then she, as I was approaching her to the window, she says, okay. And your copay will be $55. And it's like, my wife was in a Spike Lee joint. It's like she skated up to, to the counter. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even have to say nothing. She just like jumped right in and was like, why are we have, you know, she's talking to the lady and lady's like, let me just go back and see if I can just get the results. Taylor, the lady, the one who works at the desk, who takes your money, you know, who's not a doctor or anything comes back with my results in her hand and on a piece of paper, no envelope, nothing. Okay. So, so Taylor, for me, that was solidifying again. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I mean, ain't no way these people would be giving me this sheet of paper like this. You know what I'm saying? So I'm ready to take the paper. And my wife's like, no. She told the lady, you go and tell that urologist he owes us to at least walk up here and hand this paper to us. And so the lady. Right. What if you have questions or anything? Well, I mean, you know, like I say, look, I'm being a typical dude. I was ready to take the paper and get out of there. (laughs) But but, (laughs) but I understood what my wife was saying, you know, like, no. And so sure enough, we sat down. A nurse came. She said, guys, y'all can come back. So they brought us back. They put us in a room. We waited for another 10 minutes. And then the urologist came in. He knew that we were very irritated with him. You know what I mean? And it's like Mm -hmm. it's like he was white in the face. Like he just. He, he was trying to explain himself away, but somewhere in there he did say, you know, and you do have prostate cancer. 
and and I missed it. So my wife, my kids were playing at my feet. I have two little girls. They were playing at my feet. They weren't really paying attention. You know, my wife was kind of standing by me and she asked him to repeat it. And he said, yes. And I, that's when I heard him. And my first thought, Taylor, is I looked at him and I said, wow. I said, you are the urologist who performed this test on me. You knew that I had cancer and you were willing to let this woman in the front office give me a sheet of paper and you were willing to let me go home and figure that out or find that out on my own. I mean, yeah, he, he was trying to explain it away. You know, he was just saying, I, I have to repeat this so many times to so many different men. And it was awful. And I just told him, I said, man, you know, you will not be my urologist. There's no way, you know, if I'm gonna have to move forward with this journey, there's no way that I can feel comfortable with you being the person that's going to be operating on me or no just anything yeah so, so, so. there's no communication from the beginning it, How it's not a good look it's not a good look yeah. you know, i ended up um making sure that i followed through on my word of reporting that and writing to the board of urology i made sure because wow, you have to do you. that so anyway i went right home you know my wife cried enough for both of us i never it, I didn't even get to the point where I could be emotional about it. It's kind of like I just remained stuck in that moment. So how was it telling your friends and family? And then did you end up finding a new urologist? So we went home. Mm -hmm. I told my, my in-laws. I called my parents. I told my, my, I have a twin brother as well. I have an older brother. I told them that's a separate thing I want to talk about. And I called my doctor, my primary care physician. And the first thing this woman did on the phone was we prayed. She said, let's pray. And we prayed right there on the phone, you know, wow. um, and I told her again, I'm so thankful to you, you know, but I also told her I would like for you to please refer me to another urologist. I explained her what happened. She referred me to another urologist. We went in, my wife went with me. And when he first got up and walked away, he had to step out to get some paperwork. I looked at my wife and I said, that's him. That's the guy. And man, I get chills just thinking about how I, that all played out because, you know, I'm so grateful for him, my doc, my, my urologist who actually performed the surgery on me. So I want to touch a little bit on like, you know, I want to kind of go back to how as men, you know, we don't talk about things. I used to think it was just a blackmail thing, or, uh, but it's really just men in general. They don't like to talk about it. Right. But how do you get them to talk about it? How did you start mentoring and having men talk to you about it? My urologist, I started out being a mentor actually for my urologist. Like he called me mm. one day, maybe like two weeks after I had my own surgery and was like, hey man, I got this younger guy. He's having a hard time. Like, do you think you can talk to him? And I'm like, yeah, you know? And I found, yeah. I found being a mentor, Taylor, I found that that's like such a spirit, spiritual experience for me. Like, I think that it really helps me heal in a lot of ways to be able to help other men mm -hmm. process how they're feeling, like when they first find out. Because I didn't have that. You know, I didn't have right. anybody that I felt like could identify with what I was going through. And I want to say briefly, you know, I told you that the night I found out I had cancer, I, I called my parents. You know, I'm real close with my parents. My family lives in Houston. You know, my parents, I had the surgery in June of 2019. Yeah. June 13th. Last year. Yeah, last year. It just made it yeah. here. They were here for my surgery. Okay, so check it. After surgery, I was getting back into my routine. You know, like once I got back to work, maybe a month and a half after surgery. But I was at work. Mm -hmm. And a part of my routine is like when I first get to work, I'll call my parents. You know, I might call my aunt. And I would, I would call my uncle, my dad's brother. I would call him like every day almost. We would talk. But I realized mm -hmm. when I was calling him after surgery, it dawned on me 
man, I never told my uncle that I had prostate cancer. So on this call, I told him and he said, what? And this is my dad's brother, my dad's real brother. Same mama, same daddy. Okay. <laughs> he said, he said, I had prostate cancer too. And I'm like, what? how long? We weren't going to talk about it? Taylor. Nice. Taylor. <laughs> nice. I, he said he had it five years prior. And, and my next question to him, I'm saying, I said, because listen, I mean, even though they're brothers, I wouldn't even be surprised if his brother, if my dad didn't know that. So I wanted yeah, to make sure. Yeah. He said, oh, yeah, they." he said, you know, they know. I'm like, wow, that's deep to me. You know, my parents know I have prostate cancer. Like, why? And what's even crazier is that my dad, I had another uh, cousin. It's probably my dad's first cousin. So I guess like my second cousin. He also had prostate cancer and he had his surgery maybe like two weeks before me. So my dad is the person who connected me with him. <laughs> my, my, wow. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But that's just such a crazy <laughs> thing to me because I'm like, man, you know, it's just no way. You had someone all along that you could have talked to. Yeah, number one. And number two, I also could have shared that. If I knew that, I could have shared that initially with my primary care physician. And maybe, oh, yeah, for the history of yeah, it. Yeah, for the family. history. And 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 now, granted, yeah. granted, my doctor here just chose to do it. But in Houston, it may have helped me be able to be tested. Like, if, if I had told them that I had an uncle, my dad's brother, who had prostate cancer, I'm sure I probably would have gotten tested for it before. I would hope so. Exactly. But, yeah, but, exactly. You know, so I, I, I mean, I asked my parents, like, why, why didn't y'all tell me that? You know, and they were like, well, you know, we didn't, I, they really didn't give me an explanation. It was just the feel I got from it was like, we, they didn't feel like it was their place. It's a lot of people that think like that. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm just here, I feel like I'm here as a vessel to kind of shatter that. Like, you know, sharing this can be a beautiful thing. You know what I'm saying? It can really help somebody. It can definitely help another man who may be currently experiencing something and may just need that push, or it can help somebody who has no symptoms and they just need to hear me. I realize that I don't necessarily look like the man you think of when you think like think of prostate cancer. I was told right. by my team of urologists that I'm the youngest man in Austin to have been diagnosed, you know? So wow, it's a testament to that, first of all, that it can happen and definitely the importance of going to the doctor because for sure, if I hadn't been the type of person to go to the doctor, I would still be sitting here right now with, I wouldn't know, you know? There was no way I had exactly. symptoms. All the way up to surgery, I never had, I don't even know what the symptoms really are. You know what I mean? I've been mentoring locally. I started out locally, but now I mentor nationally for zero uh prostate cancer mm-hmm. organization so now i'm you know i'm reaching men all over the country and they do a really good job at pairing us together because i find that the people they paired me with are like-minded you know what i mean spiritually mm-hmm. they may even be that most of them are african-american which is fine i, I mentor all sorts of men it doesn't matter i feel so blessed to be in a position that i can give a positive report you know what i'm saying like i can't mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. like I absolutely had prostate cancer. I absolutely had a radical prostatectomy. I have had zero side effects from it. You know what I mean? And my urologist mm-hmm. attribute a lot of that to number one, early detection and me being a lot younger. So, I mean, it, it's so many bits to this story that I can't even encompass all in one call. But I mean, you know, for me, it's just very important to be able to serve in that capacity. And I'm also a writer, so I've been blessed that I can share my story in writing. 
So it's just been a journey. It has, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. It's just wild because it's, you think about like the fact that men generally speaking don't go to the doctor period. And it's like, when you do go to the doctor and you do have a doctor that will advocate for you and go the extra mile, like look what can happen. But also like, if we talked about this more or if all the ifs, like if, you know, it was more normalized to be in tune with your body and go to the doctor and get second opinions and switch up doctors if they're not for you and like just feeling more autonomous over yeah. this experience and less just like at free will. Yes. <laughs> I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned in your journey and sure. you know in your yeah for so sure. how did you how did you end up explaining prostate cancer to your daughters? I think that, you know, from the beginning, you know, that same night, Taylor, because I remember I said my, my daughters were were with me. And funny, funny thing, Taylor, my, my youngest daughter, her middle name is Camille also. So I keep wanting to call you Taylor Aww. Camille just because that Camille is <laughs> lit. But anyway, I, I, came, I came right home. I didn't want to even enter into like this whole you know, where I'm trying to like keep things from my kid. I just got right down on my knees and I looked them right in the face and I told them that same night, I told both of them, you know, and my, my, at the time, my youngest was five. So she didn't really process it the way my older one at the time was 10. She cried, you know, Mm -hmm. she was really stressed out about it. And I told both of them, I going anywhere. I'm gonna be here for your graduation, your wedding, your prom, all that. But I just wanted them to know right off, you know, dad is, I am, battling this this a disease right now but i know i trust god and i made sure that they understood let them know like Mm -hmm. i'm leaning on my faith and i'm trusting that god has his hands on this whole situation and from the beginning my whole thing was i would just tell people i just choose to be positive and i choose i was constantly making a choice just to be grateful i'm still grateful Mm -hmm. but i'm not gonna say i didn't have moments you know when i was in the car at a stoplight by myself but i wasn't just like this is crazy you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. know, yeah just being real (laughs) but yeah but all in all you know what i mean i remain positive I, i actually i didn't really cry or like let out that emotion until the day i got my catheter taken out which was after surgery so you know, mm-hmm. and I just cried. My wife, I mean, the doctors were trying to come in the room and I just couldn't stop crying. Like I just was so overwhelmed with, I mean, I was happy and I was, I don't know. It was just a series of emotions, just, you know, really processing what all I just went through for that. So when did you decide to get the surgery? I will say I did have one moment where I said, I did have one time where I said, you know what? I don't want to do it. I'm going to just try, I'm going to watch some YouTube videos of Dr. CB and I'm going to just see if I can just do something holistic. Cause I had, mm-hmm. I had been reading there were, those were approaches as well. Even though I trusted my urologist and I knew that the most aggressive and probably the best way would just be to have the surgery. But I was feeling like, mm-hmm. man, I'm young. So I decided during that time between when I was diagnosed and when I got the surgery, I was thinking, man, there has to be some type of group where I can go where there are like-minded men who either have prostate cancer or have had it and can share what they've been through. So I Googled and I found a group in Austin. I believe they have them in different cities, but it's called uh, mm. Us Too, you know, like the Me Too movement, but for, for oh, okay. this group, it's Us Too. So I went to this, right? I went to this event. Taylor, I walk into the event. It's at least 60 men in the room, Taylor. 
Every last one of them is a white man, and every last one of them are oh over the age God. of sixty. And they're all oh me, like, God. you know, I. Me, what are you doing here? Yeah, and I, I wear a baseball cap. Like I'm, 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 <laughs> you know, I'm me. So I, I'm walking in, and they're like, "Can we help?" They all had this look like he's got to be in the wrong place. So the guy oh who was standing at the God. front, and then you know, I don't blame him. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't blame him. It's shocking. Yeah. It, it actually. For me, that's the point when I was thinking, dang, this is actually pretty deep. Like, all of these men are older. I don't see anybody that looks like me, like, at all, you know? Yeah. But the guy at the front, he said, uh, hey, can we help you? And I said, yeah, I'm Michael Roy. I sent you the email. And he said, oh, and his eyes got big. And he said, oh, wow. And he introduced me. He said, this is Michael Roy. He's young. He, you know, and everybody's, like, looking at me like, wow, <laughs> you know? And I just sat down. And that's when I was at that meeting listening to those older men tell their stories. And they had some, some of them had some grueling stories. You know what I mean? It it made me, mm-hmm. that's when I came home. I came home that night and, and, and told my wife, I don't want to do it. I, I'm just... You know, but of course, she, you know, she talked me off the ledge, you know, my mother-in-law, my mom, everybody, you know, like, you, yeah. know, you need to get this done. And, and I just pushed through. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> I think for my dad, even that was his like thing that he literally could not let go of. He was like, I don't want to get the surgery. I'm going to do these like marijuana treatments. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna do, he like went around the bush. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do everything else. I don't want to lose my sexual function. I don't, even though. The surgeries nowadays are like very non-invasive. They are. It was very like non-invasive, very non-invasive. Yeah, it was like that is an old fear. Like you will still have great quality of life. Yeah. You just have to like, for lack of better words, man up yeah. and do it. Like I because just, you know you I really know, do, I, and I, I get it. I think that is what it comes down. It's just this fear is just too much. You know what I mean? It's this unknown. Mm-hmm. I have to think of it like a. So check it. I have a twin brother and I have an older brother. My older brother is like 10 years older than us, but neither of my brothers are, they don't go to the doctor. You know what I mean? They're like your typical dude. Like Mm -hmm. they don't, you know, they, and even after I got diagnosed, they still, even my twin, and that's actually, it's more pressing that he go get tested because he's my twin. We're genetically the same. And my urologist has said Mm -hmm. to me multiple times, like they will, they will ask me when they see me, has your brother gone yet? And I'm like, no, you know. You know, they, mm-hmm. it's just still this fear, you know, um, I was actually surprised that my older brother came to my surgery because he doesn't go to hospitals. You know, both of my grandmothers right. passed away at a hospital and he had time to go visit them and he wouldn't because he just doesn't, it's just this fear, I, you know? And so I think that's why I push so hard to be vocal because it's my prayer that some man somewhere will hear what I'm saying or read what I wrote and that will make the difference mm-hmm. you know nothing else did yeah. but maybe what i said you know and and the manner in which i'm telling maybe it'll you know maybe they'll find some commonalities or i just you know i just pray that i can help by sharing what i went through yeah and so then how did you find zero because zero from what i saw seemed like it's more you know diverse in scope and goal and mission <laughs> i i can't imagine you went to more us to me no i didn't i did not i did not <laughs> so let me tell you a crazy story this is how i really i genuinely feel god be having his hand like he be orchestrating it all like right after i had surgery or maybe a little bit before surgery I had joined a group in Austin called the Austin Area Urban League of Young Professionals. This group, a bunch of positive Black individuals, um, a lot of them are younger than me. You know, they're in their 20s, maybe early 30s, but just a good environment. I ended up running to be the chairman of the Health and Wellness Committee. 
And there was a, a young lady who was there who was also running to be the chair. And so the day we had to go present to the group, you know, present our campaign, we both were sitting next to each other beforehand and we were just talking. But when I got up there to give my speech for health and wellness, I, you know, I was trying to get them to understand my motivation for wanting to be the chairperson. And I touched on how I had been diagnosed and had recently had surgery and everybody's face just lit up. And the girl who was actually sitting with me, who I had gotten to know that whole time, it turns out she recently lost her fiance to cancer. It wasn't prostate cancer, but it was a cancer. And so her and I really connected a lot on that. We, we ended up both deciding to co-chair so that we, which was great, which is great. <laughs> so, so we got to, we would deal with each other much more on a daily basis. We were working on different things and she is the person who connected me to zero because she's like one of those people who just is connected with everybody. I ended up telling the regional representative, I would love, I'd love it if I could make an impact on some level. I don't know what that would be for you guys, but I'm just putting it out there that I am interested to share my story. And the lady mm -hmm. circled back maybe like two or three months later and was like, I remember you said, you know, you wanted to be involved. Would you be interested in, in coming to the zero summit in Washington, DC? And I'm like, Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and this is paid. And they even, you know, I told them, they were like, is it anything wow. else that you would like from us? And I said, well, to be honest, I would love it if my wife could be there. Is that, and I was just going to pay for my wife's flight. You know what I'm saying? But then they right. kept telling me, no, 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 we, we got her. So we went to this summit, which was wow. amazing, amazing in Washington, D.C. I got to meet all these different brothers from different cities and different states. I met a 15-year-old who, who has prostate cancer. Oh, my God. Yes, yes, yes. So yes. it was just, that's crazy, too. That We just had this summit. That's the last real thing I did outside. That was, like, at the end of February. Mm -hmm. We came home, like, wow. in February, and I feel like that's when things really got, you know, that's when COVID just kind of crazy. But, yeah, I was there for seven days. It was an amazing conference. Uh, you know, I got to share my story. I got to go on Capitol Hill and advocate to the Senate for more funding. That was a crazy experience to be able to stand before, you know, the senators and to be able to be in those official buildings and to get clearance and man it was yeah. that was something so I just I felt it's an overwhelming feeling to be able to to share the story in any capacity because I do know that there's so many men who won't share it just for whatever reason but and that's fine mm -hmm. I, I I feel I feel chosen to be to be that person and so here I am yeah but founding community is also so hard like finding safe spaces is so hard it's very hard you're right and that's why i've been like that's why i've been so passionate about mentoring so that these guys you know one of my guys in, in north carolina he just called me and he recently had surgery he had surgery like two weeks ago but you know mm -hmm. we were talking and he said yeah man they just called me and told me that when they went in there and took out my prostate that they realized they didn't get everything and i'm like man you know and uh. so just in, and that's fresh like he just found that out and he he needed me to help him try to process that and you know it's it's a lot the stories can be so different. Like I check on these guys like once a week, I touch bases or they'll call me or they'll say, hey, can you talk? Or, you know, sometimes they just need to just laugh or sometimes they need to process something. And I have a joke because he has kids, he has a family, I have a family, so we can't all, you know, sometimes you need to give me a head start so I can get somewhere and sit down. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. I, might be, I might be building a playhouse or something, you know, I might not be ready. <laughs> like, but anyway, and sometimes just 
as men, just knowing we have somebody we can talk to, it doesn't always mean they're going to get that opportunity, but they know that if it's something they need to share or if it's a way that they feel and they know they can reach out to me, you know? Yeah. I mean, what would you think? Like, I feel like a lot of the things that are out there for men focus on sex and like being physically fit. Nothing really... There's not an abundance of stuff like for your physical well-being or mental well-being. I mean, I mean, huh, that's an interesting question. I will say, I mean, I think it's much more there's more there's probably more out there now than there ever was, but but I do feel right. that it's not maybe it's not uh, readily available or you know, you kind of really have to dig for it or sometimes maybe it's just not done in a way that makes the target audience feel engaged enough to to want to utilize it. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's a really good question. You know, I, I don't know. Usually you, yeah, you may find, I don't, that, I mean, find that in churches for sure, like a men's ministry, and that'll be a place, uh-huh. you know, that men will feel. But other outside of that, you know, if it's not sports or, you know, something related to that, like you said, sex, you know what I mean? It's kind of hard to yeah. get men to, to, I just, to buy into it. Right. And that, I mean, that alone perpetuates the stigma of, you know, don't talk about what you're going through. It does. It does. does. But, you know, for some reason from the beginning, I just felt like, man, I cannot be that. I can't be that because I know that I have the capacity to, to share. Not everybody feels confident, but I know I have the capacity. So and that's a gift. I think with me, it's a little more shock value because when you hear about usually it's someone at least over 40, you know what I mean? I mean, that's mm-hmm, that's technically mm-hmm. the age that they start checking your PSA at 40. So, you know, right, you know I'm right. actually trying to get legislation passed where we can get that age lowered, you know? It, you know yeah. Because 40 might be... Because you're, you're just now... Are you 40 yet? No, no, like no. I'm 39. 39 now. So, that's I, was, so I was 37 when I was diagnosed, 38 when I had surgery. And imagine you're waiting another year yeah, to get tested. Yeah. What would you say... It, your prostate cancer and this journey has taught you about yourself? Man, wow, that I can definitely endure. And, and and prior to this, I thought I was a pretty strong person, but I definitely realized after this that I'm stronger and it helped me actually to appreciate life and just the simple things, you know, like looking up at the sky at night or like sitting outside and just, you know, before the world wakes up and sitting outside after the world goes to sleep and just... I've really learned to really consume every moment and to be present, you know, with my kids and because we truly really don't ever know. And I always knew that, but this really put it much more into perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. We take so much for granted. And I don't think we're even trying to. We're just so we're so Western and we're just we have our things and you know what I mean? And it's just mm-hmm. it's not about any of that. Yeah. Which is selfishly, sometimes I'm very grateful that the world is at pause right mm-hmm. now or semi-pause mm-hmm. because I feel like a lot of people were just in go mode all the time and never like just sat and thought about, you know, their current, their present reality. Yes, yes. But the other thing I wanted to ask was what's something either you share with most people you mentor or what's something you would tell someone going through this or not or avoiding this i'm a spiritual person so i'm gonna say you know god put doctors here for a reason you know what i mean we have Mm -hmm. to trust that our doctors are doing the right thing be an advocate for yourself if you feel like you're not getting 
what you deserve as a patient. You know, you advocate for yourself. Don't allow your fear to keep you from getting something taken care of because it's better to know earlier than later, you know, and waiting is not going to help the situation at all. It's not, it's not going to go away. Mm -hmm. You know, it needs to be dealt with and you can get through this. Like, like you were saying earlier, Taylor, surgery now is way less invasive. I mean, I woke up, I barely really even felt any pain. I know they used to like cut you open and now they don't do that at all. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I just think that we need to use this time and it's so much technology this process is so much easier now please utilize it you know go to the doctor you want to have that peace of mind and knowing that you're that you're healthy or knowing what your situation is period we can't keep living in this you know consistent quietness where we're not sharing information with one another but but where we're also just remaining quiet and that we're not doing the things we know we need to do ourselves. So you just got to push through that fear. That's all I would yeah. say, you know, push through that fear and know that on the other side, what's best is waiting. Yeah. Okay. The last thing I end all my shows, I ask this question, what brings you peace? And so it could be anything, but just what brings you peace? I would say what brings me peace is being outside. I have a green thumb. I love working in the yard. I love watering my plants. I like to play music for my plants. That really brings me peace. I feel closer to God when I'm, you know, working within or on the earth. I just love outside. I love the quietness before the world wakes up. And I love how still the world is when the world is asleep, like at nighttime when you can see the stars in the sky. So that brings me peace and music brings me peace. And to be quite honest, just being with my family, we have quite a bit of that right around these times. We've been in the house since March, but being with my family brings me great peace. Beyond Ourselves is an original series produced and hosted by me, Taylor Camille. A variety of the series artwork shared here and on our Instagram at Beyond Ourselves are created by Carmen Johns and Sierra Hood. My hope is that these listenings have left you with a warm heart and an even cooler mind. I hope you are left feeling able to seek peace in the spaces and places you may find yourself in. If you're interested in being on the pod or have any compelling leads, please shoot us an email at info at and subscribe and share if you haven't already.